This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. On today's episode, Doug is going to be sharing about how to have the abiding presence of God and how to be fueled by His presence every day so that you can do all that God is calling you to do. We would love to help you with that by sending you weekly Provoca Thoughts. You can sign up for those emails at somebodycares.org. Now get ready to take some notes and enjoy today's message. In our linear Western thinking for so long, we think we have to sub- somehow segregate each component, prayer movement, intercessors, compassion ministry, missions, youth outreach. We tend to put all those in separate segments when they're all one and the same, really, And everything can only be fueled by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And without that, we are just doing dead works, good works that become dead works. What we need to do is be a tangible expression of Christ. One of the things I wrote about in the book, Somebody Cares, uh, is that while men reach for thrones to build their own kingdoms, Jesus reached for a towel to wash men's feet. While men pursue exalted and high places, Jesus, the exalted one, left his highest place to pursue men. And it's really a different paradigm, isn't it? Those that want to be great must be least among you, be a servant of all. And what we've done is we've created this kind of a culture that success becomes being enamored with celebrity, even in the church world, because we've so often propped up the institution of what we call church rather than an incarnational manifestation of His presence to worship the El, the God of the institution. So Bethel or Bethel means house of God. And yet we've worshiped the house of God, the creation, rather than the God of the house of God. We worship worship. We worship preachers. We worship the programs, the, the new ideas. We, we worship all the things that we don't realize how far we've become untethered from worshiping God Himself. The first time the word worship is ever spoken of in Scripture is not in the context of singing music or in playing instruments, or singing songs. It's in the context of simple obedience to God. The highest form of worship is simple obedience to God. And when we come as living worshipers in an acts of obedience of our time, our talent, our giftings, our resources, God consumes us, these living, breathing temples of the Holy Spirit, and that we who are the living sacrifices offered on the altar of God are consumed by the fire of God, and His glory fills our temple. And the Zao, the breath of God, was prophesied into us, and the dry bones of Ezekiel 37 begin to rattle together again, and no longer just operating out of our own strength, but begin to rattle together, and God puts His meat on us, our bones, and He, he puts skin on us, and He begins to prophesy the Zao, the breath of life into us. What would happen? We wouldn't have to make something happen by force. We would just be, and God being in us would move because the presence of God moves even in spite of what we do or don't do. If we've been in His presence and we're in a corporate agreement together, there's a corporate release of His anointing that permeates the seen and unseen realm. It starts with us, and whatever God's gifting or calling is, our stewardship, be it in the marketplace, being in missions, being in youth ministry, whatever God's called us to do, if we've been in His presence, His presence goes with us.
The vision God has given us for 2020 and beyond is one of rapid expansion, not to build up our ministry, but to build up his kingdom. As we continue to assist in disaster relief and crisis response across the globe, we are cognizant that it takes local impact to sustain true transformation. These communities need the help before, during, and after the need arises. We need consistent resources to help those courageous leaders on the front line in their communities across the world. You can be a part of transforming lives by giving today at somebodycares.org. Second Corinthians 2.14. I love that scripture because, you know, I, I've always preached it, believed in it, but I, I began to get a renewed revelation of it just years ago. Give thanks to God who always, not sometimes, who always leads us to triumph or victory in Christ Jesus, dot, 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 so that we can become a manifester or a dispenser or a sprayer of the manifest presence of God or, or the fragrance of heaven, a sweet aroma, so that wherever we go, it goes with us. What tells me, if I've been in the presence of the triune holy God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When I'm undone, Isaiah 6, I'm undone in myself. Leonard Ravel used to call it, whoa, low, go. When you're woed or in the presence of a holy God, and then you behold His glory and recognize in your own undoneness that God does something to us that says, even in your human frailty and undoneness, I'm going to put my anointing on you, put my words in you, so get up and go. There's something about being in the presence of a triune holy God, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that we recognize our own inabilities and undoneness, but the overwhelming, great, and amazing, and powerful grace of God that's given to us so that wherever we go, before we even speak, when we've been in the presence of God, not, I'm not talking about an invitational presence, I'm talking about an abiding presence, that He's done a work in us, that wherever we go, where we set our feet, there's already things happening in the unseen realm. There are things going on beyond what we see in the natural. And when the body of Christ recognizes that we need to get back to His presence, then whatever God commissions us to do, there is a corporate anointing that goes with us before we say a word. Have you ever had people say to you, there's something different about you? I remember when I first got radically saved and was still speaking at large events for fitness and health things. I used to be in the fitness business back until 1981, 1982, and and uh, I still like to work out a little bit. And, and, but I remember speaking at large gatherings and always had to start bringing Jesus into it. But there would be people coming up to me, standing in line and saying, excuse me, are you metaphysical? I go, excuse me, meta what? These new agers, because they knew there was something different. I said, no, I don't know what meta whatever it is, but I'm full of Jesus. And some didn't like that, but some were just drawn out of curiosity. What is it that I'm looking for that I sense is different? You see, when we've been in the presence of God, He diminishes darkness, He dispels negativity, He brings us into a place of being able to stand in His presence so that when we speak, we don't speak out of our head, we speak out of a deep well that never runs dry because it comes from a water source that never ceases. When I got radically saved at almost 25 years old, the Lord called, said to me, don't call me Lord anymore. I had professed to be a Christian my, for many, many years. I was called by God when I was a boy. And all these things I had done in my life, I was living in sin. And, and the Lord just said to me, in that moment of accountability, don't call me Lord anymore. 
And I said, Lord, I may not be perfect. I'm only human, but I do know you're the Savior. So, you know, saved by grace, right? And I understand the doctrine of grace, and I walk in it in the amazing grace of God. But that moment, God was trying to get my attention. He said, even the demons in hell know who I am. What makes you any different? And the Holy Spirit conviction came over me. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit. I was all of a sudden fearful because there had been many times I had guns in my face, overdosing, uh, all these different things that happened in my life, and I always begged God to help me, got me out of it, and went right back into my old, old fleshly ways. But that moment was different. He was saying, don't call me Lord anymore. And my fear was not so much of being afraid of God, but the fear of not having his presence anymore. And I went to my knees in my exercise business in my office, and I said, God, please forgive me. If you can ever forgive someone like me who has brought shame to your name, who has broken your heart, then I'll make myself available all the days of my life. Now, I'd probably said that many, many times, that something in that moment changed. And immediately, God began to do something in me that was different. And that's where uh, my girlfriend that I was living with moved back home. I began to, to tell everybody every day in my business about Jesus. I became known as a Jesus freak. I mean, I, I don't know what that was. I just began to tell people what I was reading in the Bible that was never alive to me before, but now it came alive to me. There was something that had, had to happen in me for God not just to be invited as a guest once in a while, but now He was abiding with me. And so you look at the fast forward to my life. I was almost 52 years old, never been married. From the time I was almost 25, God did a work only by his grace. Trust me, I'm all human, but I had to set parameters, be, be brutally honest with my own frailties, my, anything I could be tempted by, and I had to separate myself from things that would be tempting. Put married couples around me. See, there's something about what God wants with us. He doesn't want this kind of a, 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 an invitational relationship. He wants an abiding relationship. In Luke 24 is a great picture of this. After the resurrection... And some notable women of the party or the group had come out with stories and saying that Jesus was not in the tomb and that some angels had appeared to them. And they told the disciples, and I'm sure what they were processing, what? What's going on? What, are, you, are you guys crazy? And so some of the disciples, we call the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, were walking. They were talking about God. They were reminiscing about what just happened the last few years. What just happened in the last few days? What was going on? I mean, their mind was so blown by what their expectations were that were not met that they were talking about Jesus, discussing the things that were going on. And when Jesus shows up, they did not recognize his presence until they began to talk about it. They said, well, why are you all so saddened? Why are you all so downtrodden? They go, dude, where you been? Have you been watching the news? So they began to tell him all about Jesus. And finally, when he was about to depart from them, something in them said, well, would you abide with us? And now, precursor to that, they, when they finally said, he said, well, what was the issue? And they said, we were hoping that. And what they're saying is they had a preconceived idea of what was supposed to take place, that their expectations were not met because they said, we were hoping that. So they did not even recognize Jesus presence right there because their expectations were not fully what God's expectations were. And so until they, he was about to depart, they said, would you abide with us? That's an invitation. Think of that first thing, invitation. Secondly, they're beginning to talk and they're about to break bread, communion. And when they're breaking bread and having communion, all of a sudden they now, that's fellowship, invitation, fellowship or communion. And as they broke bread together, 
their eyes were open. That's revelation. What we need today is to ask and invite the Lord back into His house, into our temples, into our lives, not as a temporary guest, but as the abider, the one who abides with us, His abiding presence that has complete lordship in all of our life, that He has the right to do whatever He needs to do to help us to be what He wants us to be. Invitation. Then true fellowship with God. In my book, uh, Born to Die That We May Live, it's really about the work of the cross, power of the resurrection, and I talk about the Levitical sacrifices, and one of the sacrifices is the peace offering. But there's three kinds, at least three kinds of the peace offering. It's the praise, it's the vow, it's the fellowship. It's all about communion. And if we want to have real communion, we have real peace. It talks, it's really about the worshiper being those who authentically just because, because, because it was not a required sacrifice. It was a fellowship with God. It was a free will offering. It was a desire just because, because, because he's worthy of our adoration. To get back to the authentic presence and restoring the authentic altar of worship with God for his manifest abiding presence starts with an invitation that is honest and saying, God, I want you to abide with me, not just visit me, abide with me. You have the right to do whatever you want to do. This is a temple that you have purchased with the blood of Jesus. And secondly, to have true fellowship, not because we get something for the fellowship, but just because, because, because of who he is and what he's already done. And in that place, God begins to open our eyes into renewed revelation of the work of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and begins to give us revelation of the wisdom that we need to walk out this journey so we can be who God's called us to be and to walk in the destiny God has called us to. And when their eyes opened, they got the revelation, he was gone. But something happened. On the road to Emmaus, they were talking about Jesus, but they had their own, we were hoping, bad expectations. When they invited his abiding presence, had communion and fellowship just because, because their eyes were open and now no longer sad, but now this deep expectation of things that were to come. They didn't see it yet, but there was something that changed. When the woman with the the issue of blood was thronging through the crowds and the thousands who could have been there. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, come on. Everybody's here. They're here to hear you preach. They're here to hear you sing. They're here because of you. What do you mean, who touched me? They're all here to touch you. But he knew the difference between those who wanted something from him versus those who draw virtue from him out of desperation. There's a a word that we use called the art of kintsugi. And most of you probably know that, but the art of kintsugi comes from basically... Uh, in art form now, but it started from some folklore that some royalty had their favorite teacup had broken, and somebody they began to fix the broken teacup and with silver strands and with gold and and later it may, may not look like its original state, but the value out of its brokenness was more valuable than in its original state. And for us, out of our brokenness, God gives us greater value. So He is worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our praise. And out of the crucibles of experience, have we not had greater influence when we recognize that our life experience was an opportunity for God to do something greater? And out of those experiences, we're able to minister to other people out of our own brokenness. And think about where we are today. We're in an Isaiah one moment. We are in a whole generation of brokenness. But it's an opportunity that out of brokenness will be this corporate value given by the Lord through the church to touch people right where they are. And when you begin to touch their hearts, No matter how much they argue in the mind, 
They're drawn to us because of the presence of God in us and the heart of God working and manifesting through us. It's the dispenser of the manifest fragrance of heaven. If you can do anything with someone like me, I make myself available to you. Availability and simple obedience every day. It's not because I'm any smarter. It's not because I have a lot. It's not because of anything in myself, but because that simple prayer and that simple desire to walk in obedience every day has opened up a segue of a place of God's influence that I could have never done on my own. Now, in Luke 24, after he left, they had a new expectation. They tarried, focused, thinking, longing for his presence. And we see, we fast forward a few more into the next chapter into the book of Acts, and we see the outpouring of God. It wasn't about their own capacity. You don't have to make something happen that God already wants to do. We walk with God. Let me just go over a scripture with you in Isaiah chapter 1. And as you go to Isaiah 1, especially verse 11 through 20, I won't go through all the scriptures, but I think this fits with how in our linear thinking we try to put everything apart. But God is saying, look, it's all connected. And it says here in Isaiah 1 that God was not well pleased with all the raising of their hands to worship, all their sacrifices, all the things they were doing. It says, God doesn't even regard our raising of our hands, our gatherings, our, our conferences, our numerous prayers, because an ounce of obedience produces more than a ton of prayer. Our sacrifices. He wasn't impressed with all those things because we allow the shedding of innocent blood, overlook justice, neglect the orphan and the widow. In other words, your hands are covered with blood. Wash and cleanse yourself. Remove your sinful deeds. Put away your evil doings from before my eyes. Even representing the Lord in the house of the Lord. In other words, God is saying, you represent me and you allow these things. How can the fullness of the presence of God be manifest when we allow things like Hophni and Phinehas, that we are even behind closed doors allowing the perversions and the profaning of the holy things of God? I'm not talking about external piety. Others may, I may not. I'm not trying to project my consecrations. What I'm saying is we all have to be honest. I'm saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And one of the sacrifices of the Levitical sacrifices is the burnt sacrifice. It simply means this, total surrender to the Father's will. So Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Levitical sacrifices. He became the perfect sacrifice so that he could exchange our filthy rags for his robes of righteousness. It's not what we can do. It's what he has done. But the least we can do is appreciate and honor Him and worship Him in the beauty of holiness, which is the glory due His name. Not external piety, not some sort of legalism, but this uh, total story says, God, look what you've done for me. You're worthy of my adoration. And for us to steward His presence, it's not about taking His presence. See, I, I had a guy come up to me one time. As a, we used to do, for 10 years, I did a citywide Bible study. Gang members would come, homeless people would come, pastors and missionaries, business leaders, but they had to leave their title outside the ballroom of this hotel that I did every, for 10 years every Friday night. And I'd take a bunch of people to the streets with me, the highest crime district in the state of Texas at that time. And they would leave their, their titles outside. Can you imagine a room, a place like this, filled with a bunch of gang members, homeless people, prostitutes, teenage runaways and prostitutes, pastors, missionaries? It was a beautiful sight to get lost in no titles but just the presence of God. And I remember those days where God was doing something beyond my capacity. People were coming to Christ, not because I was a good preacher. It's because there was a corporate anointing to, to seek the presence of God. And in that presence, God was able to do things we could not ever do. And one night we're at this hotel, and I hear some worship music going on from another ballroom. 
And so we're getting set up. I walk over there, and I saw the worship team playing. And I said, wow, what are you guys doing tonight? They said, oh, we're going to have a citywide worship gathering. I said, that's awesome. They go, what are you doing? I go, well, we have a Bible study and a worship every Friday night. And they go, really, who are you with? And this is the leader of the worship team. Who are you with? I said, well, I told him the name of the ministry. He goes, oh, Doug Stringer? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, he's a good friend of mine. I said, really? And then he says, what's your name? And I felt bad for him. I go, Doug Stringer, did you shave or something or cut your hair? I go, yeah, that's probably what it is. But you see, how many of us want the presence and the authority that comes from the name of Jesus based on some sort of kind of a relationship or knowing about him, but we don't really know him? We want credibility by association. In the Old Testament, we talk about, we quote Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, those that know their God shall do great exploits. To know is to yada, Y-A-D-A. But that doesn't mean to know about God. It means to have interactive relationship with God himself, communion with God. Go into Philippians, and the Apostle Paul talks about kenosko, the New Testament equivalent, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew. Kenosko is to know God, to fellowship with God, to communion with God. Then you have that kind of authority. And like me, all those years ago, I had this verbal kind of a relationship with God. Saw God do miracles when I was a kid. But you see, in the whole journey, God was looking. He was, he was wooing. He was reminding me. But I, he was never going to be able to manifest the fullness of his presence and the authority of his life in and through my life or my destiny to be fulfilled till I came to total surrender to the Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. I think God's calling us back to that place. Sometimes it comes out of desperation. Pastor Joseph, Bishop Joseph Matera was sharing at the, the Apostolic Leaders Gathering, and I heard somebody else share this as well, and it's, and it's something I wrote about in my first book I ever wrote in 1990. And I said there are three, four maybe things that the church has had to overcome in 2,000 years. One, the church has had to overcome times of persecution. But every time there was persecution, the church seems to grow. The second is times of, of poverty, because even in poverty, in impoverished moments, the church seems to flourish because God's still their provider. But the two things that the church has never seemed to overcome in 2,000 years was the very thing God wanted to give us a stewardship to advance the kingdom of God, not self, not personally, but to advance the kingdom of God was long periods of peace and prosperity. But it seems historically that long terms of peace and prosperity, we become introverted, we become selfish with it, and we no longer extend out the stewardship God has given us with it, and we end up having to be shaken to get our attention again. So revival comes oftentimes not through our stewardship, but through our shakings. I pray that we're in a place out of our own choices. We would take a knee posture before God. We say, God, if there be any wicked thing in me, if there's anything in me, help me, Lord, do a work in me so you can do a work through me. And even as David prayed, Lord, if there be any hidden sin, any presumptuous sin, God, show me so I know how to bring it before you repent of those things. It's sad today that some would say, once you get saved, you're just covered. Well, we are. We're, it's the grace of God, I know. But there's something about the altar of God that some people forget. It's a place, it's a reminder. If it's not for God to remind God, but it's to remind me that He is God and I am not. That I need Him. Because humility is attractive to God. Honesty is attractive to God. Holiness is attractive to God. Not external piety, but the internal 
willingness to consecrate our lives before God. Others may, I may not. I don't judge anyone else. I only ask God to show me where He wants me to go deeper and higher in expectation in Him. What others do, that's not my responsibility. I am just to live the life God's called me to. And even when I, when I minister to other ministers in, in our relationships that I have, I say, look, there comes a time where you can have your liberty, but if your liberty becomes justification of excuses, you will turn it into license. And ultimately, your license will become open licentiousness. And what we've done is we begin to look at our liberties. I can do this because I'm free. I may be free, but I don't want to be entangled in this attitude that somehow I'm free because of me. I'm free because of Him. And I don't want to cause anyone else to stumble. So every new level of responsibility and stewardship God gives us he calls us to a, do, a deeper level of consecration. His presence is something I don't want to lose. But I also realize that His presence comes in not so much just our words, but our willingness to be in the hidden place with Him so that when we walk into the public place, that dispenser in a stinky world. And how do we do that? We engage people in a very real and practical way. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.